Welcome back to the Feed Your Brain podcast. Uh, Max on this side, Mike on the other side, and we have a great guest on the other side as well. It's Pascal. Pascal is one of the founders of Planted, um, a Swiss-based company, um, which uh, basically I think you should definitely give the summary later, uh, Pascal, but I would say uh, basically on what I've read online on how I, how people uh, basically define what you do is it's Swiss alternative protein company. You guys have just raised um, 21 million a few months ago, headquarter uh, close to Zurich uh, in, in, in Switzerland, approximately, I think 120 people. Uh, but Pascal, I leave it up to you. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, great to, to, to welcome you here. Thank you so much. Max, Mike, a pleasure to meet you through this uh, format. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, Planted is a food tech company out of Switzerland. I'm currently active in, in six European countries, ready to rock and roll Europe in 2022. We make meat out of plants. We use uh, biotech to structure proteins, fibers, super clean uh, in a natural way. And um, yeah, want to want to change the protein landscape. We believe that needs to be a lot more plant-based protein uh, in our in our food system uh, in order for this planet to be somewhat worth living on, just for basically an environmental perspective. And then also a health and uh, and taste perspective when you when you think about it. <laughs> That's a, a very, very uh, compelling reason. Um, can you give us a bit of the, the background of why you guys have initially started this whole thing? I mean, it's uh, biotech, of course, is a space that goes in very many different directions. You have chosen food as kind of the, the core focus. Why has, it, why has it this all kind of started? When was the first trigger moment for you to say, we're going to do this? Um, I think all four of us are co-founders, are foodies in a way, maybe a bit more tech background in, in, in you know, from food structuring, um, others more myself more from an industrial food perspective, maybe, but we started it personally. I was, I was living in the U S back in 2016, 17, ate those first versions of beyond and impossible and thought, yeah, great solution. If you're, you know, want to cut down your meat consumption, which we all have to for that application that is called a burger. However, the long ingredient list and the well, the simple fact that it's only it's, it's only a burger, right? And in most countries, you don't eat burgers as much as you do in the U.S. Didn't think like it would actually solve the problem meat or how we eat proteins. Um, so, so my challenge to my co-founder, one of the co-founders, Lucas, uh, who happens to be my cousin, uh, who was finishing yeah. up his PhD in, at ETH Zurich, uh, a great uh, tech school. He was finishing up in, in, in food science. And um, basically a challenge, the question was, can we make meat from plants tasty? And, and fibrous and, and concentrating on the mouthfeel in a more natural way, um, you know, using natural ingredients rather than the 20 plus uh, ingredients that most people have never heard, nor can pronounce, nor spell that you find in the, some of the burgers out there. Nothing against these applications and, and solutions. Uh, I think they're they're super important to to get people talking and, and maybe drawn into the, um, the space. But our take from the start was we needed to create something natural in order to really talk to the customers that are looking for uh, a more healthy, more sustainable solution to, to structured proteins. And we started making our chicken <laughs> 1.0 after one and a half years uh, building up on, a, on my co-founder Eric's master thesis or the product that he had back then. Tested it with uh, tons of chefs in and around Zurich. Um, some of them Michelin stars, some of them, you know, running a sandwich shop and took their feedback back to the lab, uh, worked on the perfect chicken solution. And then when we were happy with it, 
we still didn't believe it. We had a, a big test in the main train station of Zurich where we served about 250 um, curries to random strangers and had them say, hey, do you like it or not, right? We, we didn't believe the feedback that we got back then from techies and the startup scene <laughs> that it was actually a good product. So we were like, hey, let's go ask real people, right? Train station. The actual market. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people loved it. Uh, three people out of uh, 220 said, said they wouldn't eat it. The rest said yes. And two of the three that pressed no were vegans that said, hey, this is too meaty. I'm not looking for that kind of um, structure. So we knew we, we had to start selling, producing on scale. And so we, we, yeah, we, we started up producing at ETH made our first uh, million revenue out of that school, <laughs> built a factory at the same time, a little outside of Zurich, uh, raised our first seed round of 7 million Swiss francs. In the meantime, we've raised um, 45 as a company. Yeah, started producing more and more, le you know, learning at the same time by talking to chefs, to our consumers, talking to people that ordered plant through the web shop that we had to launch because people started buying planted at restaurants, like under, under the table or over the counter. <laughs> that wasn't really the goal, right? When you sell to a restaurant. Yeah. In the meantime, we're almost three years old as a company, um, about 170 people working in six different countries for this food revolution. Obviously have worked a lot on tech in the meantime, are, are still using some of the core technology that we then established through the high moisture extrusion. However, we're really much believers in fermentation tech and fungi tech to enhance the products that we're making. So we're, um, we're calling it biostructuring that we're doing and create meat from plants in a super sustainable, tasty, healthy, and um, clean way. Okay, a couple of follow-up questions. Number one question, did you tell the people at the train station that it's plant-based meat or did you just <laughs> have them do the blind test? Because I, I gave a couple of friends in food tech that are like iterating with experiments and apparently the reactions are very different depending on whether you tell them in advance or not. So like, can you tell us more about your experimental approach hey we learned pretty quickly and i think it was only about five minutes into the test that you need to tell people what they're actually eating otherwise they wouldn't take a sample <laughs> from you yeah. uh, so most people who actually told them yeah don't at worry, the train station right? yeah 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 <laughs> yeah okay Those shady makes... guys hang, handing out their curries no yeah. um <laughs> so you need to tell them something right i mean it's a curry Sometimes that's enough. Uh, sometimes you need, when they're looking at you like, oh, I don't eat meat or something, then you tell them, oh, it's plant-based, don't worry. Or they have allergies, right? So you need to tell them a little bit, uh, yeah. but we told them as little as possible mm -hmm. to get um, a super fair reaction from them, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And like for me personally, I, I just come out, I love protein, very big fan of chicken, uh, probably <laughs> one of my, my favorite foods in the world. I have tried probably... Not, not almost like every imaginable alternative there is, but I've tried lots of them because many of my friends are vegan, vegans or vegetarians. Mm -hmm. So far, I had a couple that were passable, mm -hmm. but uh, none that I, I, I haven't tried planted. So, but I, what I actually want to try to get towards is the actual like taste and how you iterate on that and how you develop it. Because my understanding is, and I'm, I'm no expert whatsoever mm -hmm. on food tech, but that there is like the texture side of uh, the food and then there's the molecular side and you mm -hmm. need to combine both of them. So one example that uh, a friend of mine gave me is that even if it tastes fairly similar, it also needs to look and feel similar. It needs to behave similar when you cook it. 
Is it something that you think about? Maybe give us your rundown on how you think about the product, what the most important criteria are, et cetera. Yeah, you're speaking a couple of, uh, touching a few good points here. We use the term mouthfeel when it comes to the authenticity of, of a product that we're making, because it's not just the bite and the texture. It's also mm -hmm. how, how it sticks to your teeth after, you know, you start chewing. We're talking about how many bites does it need to give you as a, you know, as a consumer? Mm -hmm. Is it one, two, three, four? Steak typically has a lot more than chicken, right? You, you have to chew more. So that's one aspect. I think in everything that we do, all the products that we're, that we're making, whether it's chicken, the pulled pork, the kebab, or, or, or the schnitzel, we're always, let's use the word inspired, right? We use the animal protein to inspire us on the positive aspects of, of what we, what we make out of plants. So it needs to, you know, have at least the same protein content, um, low sodium. Um, we try, however, then to use more positive aspects, like for example, high in fibers, it's good for your digestion, right? We're obviously not using any, any antibiotics or, you know, you're not getting any hormones from, from eating planted. So, you know, taking the positive aspects aspects of meat and then using that as a, as, as a benchmark. And some of the positive aspects is a very cultural one. It's, you know, what meat tastes like you as, as a chicken fan, uh, Mike, I, I guess you, <laughs> you know, exactly how to cook it, you know, how to put it in, in the curry in a fajita and what, whatever menu you're going to cook with it. And the products that we're making, they need to hold up in all these applications. So it's, it's one thing to, to, you know, make a burger that basically the application is on, on a, on a flaming plate or in, in, in a, pan. However, when you talk chicken, when you talk pulled pork, everything that has these fibers that we're making, the application range that it needs to cover is much more diverse. I'd say that the products that we're making need to hold their hold their health to a, to a higher standard in that regard. And by working with chefs in the beginning, when you start developing the product and when you're, you know, after version 1.0, it comes 1.1, it needs to always be as good as the last version and, and hold up in all these applications and another one. And it, then it's not just chefs, right? Once, once we have a product, it goes on the web shop and then people give us feedback, um, actually really great return rates on, on the, on the feedback forms that we send out to you after you order planted online. And we know exactly what batch performs, how well with what consumer, consumer group also. Um, and that's where it gets really interesting then to, to see, Hey, what, pro what can we make better about this specific batch? It holds up. And so it holds up in other applications as well. A lot of things come into play here, culture, you know, your, your cooking behavior, professionals, cooking behavior, when and how you eat it. And I think what meat right now, or what all the animals that, that we're eating uh, produce for us is not a perfect solution yet. It might be perfect in a cultural way because you're like, oh, I really love to taste, but it's not good for your body. It's not, you know, it could be juicier. It could be, it could even be better in certain applications, right? So that was where, that's what we're aspiring to do with the products. And that's why we we're, we're not saying, hey, we copy meat, but we want to be better than meat. Like our products should be better than meat. Yeah, I love that. And if there is a healthier substitute for chicken that actually tastes similar like i i'll become your biggest subscriber gonna taste gonna taste better yeah um, if, if it, if it uh, tastes like, i i don't want to raise the bar too much but if, if that's the bar <laughs> then i, I won't any, uh, eat anything right, else anymore. Right. but yeah I, I love the way you think about it it's a very holistic thing right there are like for us like we are i think the difference between food tech and many other techs is that everyone has a base understanding of what food is. Everyone mm -hmm. has to eat and everyone has their own experience with it. And some people just 
think about it as I just have to do it. There's some people who are more like foodies, as you said earlier, mm -hmm. right? Who like the experience of either cooking or experiencing the food, but everyone has something to say about this. If you build a B2B SaaS infrastructure thing, not everyone has something to do with it, right? <laughs> but but this is just like you, you have the scientific approach of pleasing the everyday person to some degree, which I, I think is something that is a difficult balance to strike. Apparently use a very data-driven approach, I think is the right way to do it. We, we owe that to ourselves uh, because we're scientists, right? Um, yeah. Putting up some, some, some random product and think, oh, this, this tastes great. Let's put this out there. We want to look at the data. And what you say is, is super interesting, right? Because everybody eats multiple times a day and some people eat a lot of protein and, um, and, and, and some are like, I don't really care about it meeting. It needs to be cheap. So you're talking to really everybody and their mother, right? When it comes to food and everybody has an opinion because it's so deeply culturally rooted on the upside. maybe let's look at that too. Uh, a friend I, I went to university with, he's in, in real estate now and uh, <laughs> I think he does, he does quite well. But he once said at the very beginning when we started plant and he's like, oh, I'm so jealous. You know, the market you're addressing, everybody eats three times a day. <laughs> People only buy once or twice a house, you know, on, in, during their life. And I think he's right about that. It's super, it's a super nice industry to be working in. And it's one that we have to we have to get right. The protein diversity right now as, as, as us as a population on this planet, is, we have to get right. Otherwise, we're totally screwing ourselves out of a future here. Um, and maybe, maybe it's just one um, to maybe bit, uh, one example here. A lot of people are talking about the, the shortage of wheat, for example, coming out of Korea and Russia, the, the horrible situation one lunatic has brought upon us. But really, it's, it's not you know, it's not a shortage of wheat in the market. It's just unsustainable distribution of it. Like most of that product goes into animals that grow way too inefficiently to make another form of protein for us as a consumer. Like if we, if we use that more efficiently, we wouldn't have any problem on, on, on feeding this planet. Yeah. 100%. I, I have one more follow-up and then I, I'll give it over to Max again. And it's about the nutritional side of things. So uh, when I grew up, I was like a like a semi-professional athlete. We had our nutrition plans. I, I'm definitely not an expert, right? But I, I know more than the average person. So one of the questions that I usually get, or specifically from my friends who, who like meat, like who are athletes, etc. Uh, some of them are plant-based athletes, but most of them are not. Like one of the first issues they have with plant-based stuff is usually that plant-based proteins don't have all the essential amino acids, like animal-based meat has it. Uh, can you like talk a little bit about the actual nutritional value of what you're offering and how it compares? Because I, I think that's something you think about as well. I'm, I'm fairly certain. Yeah, the nutritional side of, of the products that we're making are getting more and more important. And I understand why, um, because honestly, when you look at the product range uh, also plant-based out there, Today, it's not not only that a lot of products have ingredients lists that and aftertaste uh, maybe uh, from these natural in, uh, flavors that they're using that are you know it's not good for you and you know it's not good for you when three hours after you eat the product it, it's it's still sitting somewhere where it shouldn't. One of the super important things is having a product that is by the you know, that you can digest and your body loves to digest, um, will give you all the energy needed. Uh, the pea protein that we're using has a full full profile on the uh, amino acid range that, that you need. Now, on, on top of it, you know, for the pulled pork, for example, using sunflower protein and oat protein to mix with the pea protein. So we're getting an even better amino acid profile than what chicken would give you, for example. I think when you combine here what nature gives you with tech, you can make food that is even better for you. 
uh, even as an athlete. I think for us, it goes to show that, yes, there is plant-based athletes. Uh, there's also a lot of athletes that get product from planted um, that are not fully plant-based, but they love to eat planted because it gives them all the, the energy and the protein that they need. Yeah, maybe... maybe uh, Soccer isn't the best example, but we're, we do deliver to, to most German soccer clubs, to, to, the, to the Swiss soccer clubs, and they, they cook it for the teams. Um, some of the players, they cook, cook it at home. Really good triathletes are, let's say, on the, on the regular consumer list for planted products. So we take that very serious, also their feedback. Because yes, athletes, I think, know very well how their body behaves and what, what the body needs. And um, we learn from that also in a super data-driven way. And I think this, this is where it needs to go, right? Yeah, that's one of the good things about, like one of the interesting things about the intersection of food tech and athletes. Athletes are one of the only groups where the link between what they eat and their actual output matters a lot from an economic perspective. So they are very incentivized to actually eat what's good for them. Mm. Some are still very like some, some don't use the right data and maybe do some weird diets or whatever. But generally, like when athletes eat it and when they're nutrition, like when they're cooks and their chefs and their nutritionists prepared for you, you can be usually fairly certain that it's at least helping you with physical performance, but usually also mental performance because professional sports is very mentally draining on the highest level. So that's usually, I would say, a, a good sign if people are using it and then using a pea protein in my opinion is also way smarter than using like soy based stuff but again like i'm not the food scientist i'm just a hobbyist but yeah next uh what what's on your mind right and, now? and, and a secret chicken fan that might diverse into <laughs> going into planted uh, no for real like later. next thing i'm doing after this is like trying to get planted to me in the, here US. In the us and then uh, i'll help you out mike uh, we'll, I'll, we'll, I'll test we'll, it we'll get that over to you <laughs> Um, I, I have a couple, a couple of questions which might go a bit sideways, but I, you talked a bit about earlier kind of that we have a, a more like the, the problem is larger than just making an alternative, right? It's the, we, we, we have more people uh, on planet Earth in the future. We will have potentially difficulties feeding them proportionally or at least making the food in, 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 at, at a speed that is also relatable to the speed of the population overall. And I wonder, because of course you are based in Switzerland, the factory is based in Switzerland. And usually kind of when I look at friends working in manufacturing, even in the old school world of manufacturing, or also looking at uh, modern manufacturing, um, this is kind of the hard part about it, right? It's not uh, like to make large scale manufacturing work and have that also scalable uh, in, in different countries and continents is really, really difficult. How do you ensure that you can build up with the demand moving into different countries? And why have you chosen Switzerland as being a, of course, very a country with very high salaries compared to kind of other European countries that you could have chosen, right? Yeah, um, I think the last question is really easy to answer. Um, we're all from here. Our tech is, is from Switzerland. We have a great talent pool at, at ETH that we know really well. In the meantime, we um, friendly professors and advisors all, all over all, all over the world that, that would help us out with, with their network too. But building a factory is something, especially in something that's never been done before, is not something you would build online. Like uh, it helps to speak the same language. It helps to, to, to know a bit the surroundings. It helps to, to be able to negotiate the right way with the landlord. And the story that we have here helped us do all these things. And I think in a, in a, in a really, really fast fashion. Now, when we built the factory, we were, we were producing at ETH at um, 50 kilograms an hour, what, 110 pounds an hour. Uh, we were going, you know, two shifts at, at, a, at a school. 
during COVID when the whole school was shut down. We had like trucks pick it up in the morning and go to the retail and go to, to the restaurants. And it was, and we built a factory for a, a 10X kind of volume. And, and then at some point, I think one of, the, one of the crazier meetings back then, having raised 7 million and, and half of it is, is clearly already put into that construction and to new office, we were like, hey, um, shouldn't we look nine months in advance? Is 500 kilos an hour that, that we were planning to do here. Is that enough? So right now we're at um, a thousand kilos an hour, but we needed to prepare that factory to, to be ready to do that upgrade, right? To build additional machinery. And then what also was very clear for, for us in the, since the very beginning that we want to automate this process as much as possible. So where we had about 30, 35 people in production uh, a year ago, making 400, 500 kilos an hour, we now have the same number of people in, in production making a thousand kilos an hour. Um, and that's only possible thanks to automation, thanks to some of the machines we built ourselves with our engineers in-house and we build with, with customers, clients. Yeah, that, that want to learn as well, right? We make sure that we, we keep the IP and uh, we know exactly how, how to take the pieces apart and how to, how to structure them properly. But automation is super important to us. And so we, we know that once we have this one figured out, which we do now, yeah, we're ready to build the next factory somewhere else in Europe. And then yes, probably labor will be a bit less expensive. However, I mean, at, at that level, you operate with, with talent and you need access to talent just as much as you need ac access to labor. But the next factory will be somewhere closer to the, to the consumer. Uh, since we have a lot of consumers in, in, in Germany and uh, in, in Austria already, and the UK is growing really nicely, I think the factory will be more in that region. Right now, we're scouting locations and uh, uh, hopefully have a decision by this summer. Exciting, exciting. Yeah, I mean, you you, you spoke you spoke about talent, right? And and of course, ETH uh, is quite well known for um, talent in 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 tech and also in in science overall. How what did you learn? Because we have a lot of people that are building companies that want to kind of transition into that stage where you are 170 people um, spread out across different countries um, and, and of course moving within three years from zero to 170 is pretty impressive how did you what have you learned as a founder because of course that's one of the key part is, is hiring and recruiting what have you learned in the past kind of three years about building up the team that maybe you haven't known before maybe something that you've learned while <laughs> hiring 170 people <laughs> well there's um a lot of lot of learnings on that side, certainly. And where do I start? Look, if you're growing at that pace, uh, you're basically redefining your own job. And a lot of your a lot of your team has a new job every six to nine months. They become more specialized. They become more leadership position if they're good leaders. Not everybody's built for that. Not everybody wants that. I would say the most important learning, uh, looking back, I, I, what we do now, <laughs> better than the past sometimes. But I think we did a pretty good job overall. Is is hire for growth attitude. Um, People that know that this is only a status right now. This is not going to last for another month. We're on a super growth path that needs to be sustained with with, with more talent, with uh, better people coming in, with um, people have bringing additional knowledge to certain markets, to certain topics, whether that's in science and product development or for engineering a certain problem, a certain challenge. So really that mindset, I think, is, is most important. And it helps, obviously, to have, I think, a, a pretty clear vision for the company and the mission that we're working on. However, we never make the mistake to hire for what people eat, for their eating habits, but, but rather for talent. A lot of, lot of uh, vegans, vegetarians, uh, most probably flexitarians in the company, people that are only showing you for the, for the mission, um, sometimes are not critical enough of the culture that, that the company's building. Mm. So I think, yeah, having the, the right growth attitude brings more of the a cultural fit with you. 
it feels like the expectation can can dilute with what people are actually doing later on right if you grow so fast people might be expecting something different just because the mission is cool and maybe fits to their personal uh, preferences but if they don't know what's going to be happening inside of the company with all the growth that is happening and 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 and, and of course the, the the different objectives that you have as an organization that's a different different story yeah and, and don't get me wrong we're, we're super serious on on the mission you'll never find a piece of any animal products within in this company obviously everything is always speaking that we do we, we have even wrote it down in the expense plan that you know if you want to eat that, that animal go for it we're just not going to expense it as a company we're uh, taking trains whenever possible actually more than whenever possible by traveling through europe so all these, all our sales, uh, sales talent is, is driving electric, really nice cars too, though. So I think that's, that's a plus going, for a lot of sales. Going people. through Zurich. Uh, <laughs> they are, they are, you see them everywhere. It's crazy. <laughs> you, you saw a few of our, uh, yes, brand cars. Nice. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, the mission is super important. We don't go against that, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying, um, on, on the talent side, I think the, the attitude and the, the realization for, or the hunger for growth and, and also the realization for, hey, that, that means that the job I'm doing today is not the same as it's going to be in six months is crucial. Nice. Yeah, thanks Thanks for sharing. Um, I have one kind of question since, of course, we have a couple of minutes left. Um, one of the things that really I found very interesting and is not something that I have seen that often from other food tech companies in Europe, especially, you've worked with a number of well-known names in the industry, one of them being Tim Rauer, as I think the the best german chef right now um based in berlin which of course really likes to combine asian food and and, and different other combinations and is very well known for his <laughs> i think very interesting behavior and, and and attitude towards food and and making the industry better how did you decide to kind of work with these names and of course it could kind of also maybe give you a different brand than you would actually like right because these are kind of two star three star michelin chefs that have a certain attitude about food that are more expensive, but you still want to, um, of course, grab the everyday consumer potentially. And, and how do you make these decisions on whom to work with while not kind of diluting maybe your brand equity in a sense that you want to, of course, in, 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 in a larger scale, potentially approach everyone that wants to jump on, on the boat with Planted? I think personally, these collaborations, we're not, we're not sponsoring them. They're the customers of ours and partners of ours. They bring a lot of brand equity, I would say. When, when, when Tim Rawe, for example, started using Planted um, in, in, in Berlin in his restaurant, also for the for the meat menu, you know, everyday restaurants would, would start calling and saying, hey, you know, I, I saw he's using that. Let, let me try that as well. So it, it was an amazing brand value for us. And I think what is important when it comes to these partnerships, and, and I'm not just talking about Tim Rao, I almost thought also Nenad in, in Zurich, who's two, a two-star chef here in Zurich, or places like Fiegelmüller, the, the schnitzel place in Vienna, right? Or or Borchardt in Berlin. They use or Hiltel, right? I think you also work with Hiltel, right? Exactly, yeah. I think, but maybe ask, ask these people uh, in, in person, but I think what's important to them also is the authenticity of, of, of us as a company, that we, and that we bring tech pipeline with us, that we work on bigger pieces, juicy... You see tenders, chicken breasts that are more, you know, that are, that are as clean as our chicken right now. They see a tech pipeline uh, and a product pipeline that excites them rather than, let's say, a, a classical meat industry that thinks, oh, this is an interesting space. Let me use the current technology that I have, some dry texture it, mix it up and, and glue it all together in, in a sausage that 
then you, a few consumers will forcibly like because it's their category. I think that is, is something that, that we bring to these partnerships. And then also we learn a lot from them, right? A, a Michelin star chef has a, an amazing palette that will tell your product development team so much more than, you know, on, on texture and mouthfeel where a certain product that might be shaped in, let's call it a sausage, it might taste or have a, a texture like something way different. And then everyday consumers would, wouldn't get it, but that person might. So having these experts working with us in product development is a lot of fun. I think a, a huge honor as well for, for, for us. And it, also it excites a lot, a, lot, a lot of the talent here in the, in the lab to, to see um, when, when people like Tim would walk in and, and interact with them. That makes a lot of sense. To close it off, like one of our last questions is usually whether you have any content recommendations for everyone who's listening could be a blog post that you frequently read. It could be one of your favorite books. Just something that hopefully like teaches people a bit, but if you have a fictional piece that works as well, just something that you that inspires you to some degree. That's a tough one because I, I, I don't think, you know, we, we built a company on uh, a lot on the, on, on the culture side, a lot on, on no rules, rules from Netflix or principles mm-hmm. by, by Ray Dalio, but it's not like something new to, to your to your listeners, um, to our listeners today. Um, personally, I get inspired by good literature uh, to, to journalists that put themselves out there and try something new. And have nice. A, a Do you cool... have a recommendation in that area? In, in, in Zurich's uh, paper, I really like Christoph Zürcher's column, uh, but I don't think anybody of the listeners will, will, will know about that. I always... <laughs> Good guy. I like to scroll through NPR, how I built this and see, hey, if there's a consumer brand that I stumbled upon or actually has inspired me as a consumer. And I think that's super inspiring to, to hear where people are coming from and what turns they made that ended up where they are now. And then in, in more general ways, I think I'm cl- I click on podcasts uh, when I see somebody's talking about something. That, has, that is meant to last, um, that it has a bit of a deeper sense in this planet that is not just building something to, to have a quick accident and go back to crypto, um, <laughs> but really a, a, a bit of a bit, a bit bigger meaning on this planet. I think people like that are generally, in my opinion, more, more authentic and more interesting to listen to. That's true. You could also build something that lasts in crypto, though. Uh, for which, sure. Uh, 100%, is... 100%. Sorry, that might have been a, no, no, no a stupid, uh, stupid example. No, no, no. Uh, but I, I, I get where you're coming from, right? Uh, there's lots of also VCs, actually, that I know who spend more time on like figuring out which NFT profile pick they should buy than actually helping their portfolio companies. <laughs> But um, (laughs) maybe to close it off, like one thing that I find very interesting about Planted is there have been like many companies who have tried this and there are still many companies who are trying to build something like this, right? Mm -hmm. But it seems to me from what I can see from the outside that you are like on like a slightly elevated level and you just outperform other companies to some degree. And I don't even know, like probably like from a fundraising side, yes, and probably from a traction side, but also like one great example is your website is just like very, very fresh. Like it looks pretty cool. One of the best uh, websites I've seen in a bit, specifically like you, good design, like it, it just feels good. So Thanks, my I'm, I'm glad just, the branding team will love to hear that. You, yeah, yeah, you, you almost can tell them. You can tell them. I, I went on the website <laughs> and was like, I, I like one of the things I like about companies, which is like one of my things, is just mm-hmm. like when they have a good website, I automatically like them. 
to some degree, obviously. Um, but maybe, even maybe, though you're like chicken, Mike, I mean, that's a, it's a, it's oh, a good yeah, pathway. But as well, I, as I said earlier, Mike. I'm very, very, yeah. like the, the things that I see on this website actually make me want to try this. Like the, one of the pictures, uh, like the, the pan with like the planted chicken and like the vegetables in there. I want to eat this right now. Maybe because I'm hungry, but also because it looks very good. But uh, that aside, what I actually wanted to like wrap this up with is you seem to have like high standards and like I think the experimental scientist approach might be part of it. But for everyone who's listening, who wants to build a company that lasts, I mean, we'll see whether planted lasts, but I think you're in a good way, right? And so what are your ways internally or for yourself of like keeping or getting to higher standards, keeping standards high? Like if you have one or two things that are like really impactful for how you build your company, I think that would be helpful to close it off with. It's one word, really. Um, depending on how you live it in your culture, it's the most important one, I think. It's accountability. We were four founders in the beginning, all very different mind backgrounds and, and talent and strengths and weaknesses. But we always held ourselves accountable for what we did. Um, that didn't mean, hey, don't make a mistake. That actually meant the different. Like it, you go out and try and look. let's look at the data and then see what else we or what we could do differently next time and i think people that joined us early on would say the same and people that join us right now would hopefully still say still say say the same sorry um that you're being held accountable for your actions because you get a lot of responsibility when joining planted um you know you can you can happily do mistakes go out and try but then look at the outcome in a data-driven way and well, how can I say that? Do it better next time, maybe, or um, you know, may maybe take a step back, look look at the outcome, and try again. But the the accountability part is something that I think gives a lot of empowers people, right? Because whatever you do, you're you're responsible for it, for better and worse. And then maybe coupled with a culture of non-finger pointing, if something is really, really messed up, we we, we have a, a non-judgmental session on it, look look at it really fact-driven and then wrap it up so we make sure it never happens again. This on the culture side is probably to me the most important one to, to keep everybody engaged, mm. to have people really feel like, hey, we can make a difference here and what I do matters because it does. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? You need to hire people who are better at you mm -hmm. in their specific areas and then empower them. That's what you just said. Well, Pascal, that was a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. I'm actually very excited to try out the planted chicken. So I'll, I'll follow up and we'll see like how, how <laughs> I'll make sure you get some. The US sure. Or I'll eat it on my next trip to, to Europe. But yeah, actually very excited to try it out. Thanks for telling us more about the company. Are you currently hiring? Because if you are, we can put it in the show notes. Oh, please and so much. Yes. Yes. And then we'll do that. Apparently, there is a like very mission-driven, fairly like fast-growing company in Switzerland that's looking for great people. And in, in uh, more markets than just like just Switzerland, okay. but yes. everywhere in Europe, you'll, everywhere you'll see it on the website. But um, yeah, we, we usually <laughs> we usually like to like because some of our like listeners like to join like fast growing, exciting companies. But yeah, yeah, that's it. Thanks for your time. Have a good rest of your day and good luck on the journey ahead. Happy building. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Max. Thank you, Pascal.